Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Happy Friday. The Denver Nuggets up two games to one. Have an opportunity to go up three to one. Take two games in Miami tonight if they get the win and then have an opportunity to get this. Clinch the NBA title in Denver on Monday. Of course, there's a big step to go before that. We'll have uh, Ryan Blackburn joining us. We'll have uh, Hall of Fame coach George Carl join us as well in the program to break it all down. But, of course, the man next to me has more than enough there to break it all down. And Sandy Clough and Sandy, uh, this game for the Nuggets is the biggest game as an NBA franchise. Maybe the biggest game is at least their finals in 1975, at the end of the 75-76 season that they eventually lost the final ABA finals to the New York Nets and uh, Dr. J. The Nuggets have never, in, in that ABA finals, the only other finals that the organization has ever been in, they lost that 4-2. to two. two games is the most they've ever won. They are trying to get into uncharted territory. And they're doing this tonight looking like the t- the better team and the team with the most ability to move and counter move, despite the fact that Eric Spolster knows every button to push. I, I think there's an argument to be made that even a coach as ingenious, uh, as uh, supple psychologically as Eric Spolster is, eventually your bag of tricks run dry. I was a little surprised, and we'll talk about this maybe a little more later with George Carl. I was a little surprised that he didn't try more in combating the two-man game of Jokic and Murray, but there is always the possibility that the simplest play in basketball is run so skillfully by these two players that there is no countermeasure that they can't themselves counter. There may be no way to stop it if those two are fully engaged. Jokic is always engaged. Uh, Murray, by his own account, is moody as a player and perhaps as a personality. Jokic never wavers psychologically, physically, on court, off court. He is who he is at all times. Murray's performance is a little harder to predict, but I've been thinking about this. It's it's always easy for us to say after any Nugget win that Jokic is the best player, and it's almost always true. I thought Murray was the best player the other night. You could, the, you could certainly I have make the argument. I've seen Jokic have games like that, 30 points plus, 20 rebounds plus, 10 assists plus in the same game. For Murray to have 34, 10, and 10 gave the Nuggets not one but two stars who are pretty well established now in this series. The Miami Heat are still looking for one star. Christian Brown gave the Nuggets a rookie game in the NBA Finals that perhaps has never been exceeded with the exception of Magic Johnson in 1980 in the NBA Finals in Game 6. Clearly the greatest performance by a rookie in the history of the NBA Finals. For a reserve, 
I would dare say, with apologies to Frank Ramsey, perhaps John Havlicek, who may have had better games in the NBA Finals when they were young players. I'm not sure about rookies. I haven't done that research yet. But the Nuggets found a wild card. The Heat didn't even have a star the other night in a full-fledged sense because their two best players were so badly outplayed, not just at one end of the floor, but at both ends of the floor. And if tonight Murray is better than Butler, as he was the other night, both on offense and defense, I feel comfortable in saying that the Heat have little or no chance to win the game. I do think this game will be closer. I am not quite as confident tonight as I was for game three. Game three was the biggest game in the history of the Nuggets franchise. Uh, Game four is now. Uh, Game five could be. Of course, either way, I suppose, if it's 2-2, I think it would qualify. And if it's 3-1, it's the game that could give them their first championship in either the ABA or the NBA. And that's why on Monday we'll be talking to the great Andrew Feinstein at 3 o'clock. He will be in studio. He is the leading nugget historian. He is the man who pioneered Denver Stiffs uh, for years, far and away the best nugget website in this city it still and that goes back strong. more than a decade uh goes back i think about 15 years it may be a little longer than that andrew will give us a perspective that no one else in this city can on either the importance of game five in a 2-2 series or what it will be like if the nuggets with a 3-1 lead close out on monday night here in denver Worth noting, by the way, that even though there is plenty of work to do, uh, Calvin Booth, who we've talked about many, many times, of course, this this season and uh, in these playoffs, made the brilliant offseason moves of adding Bruce Brown, of making the trade that brought in Contavious Caldwell-Pope, these uh, drafting Christian Brown, of course, and and Peyton Watson, but you think about those first three right off the bat and how impactful that's been. Another unusual situation, uh, Today, during the NBA Finals, Calvin Booth's still doing his thing. The Denver Nuggets, uh, according to Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, are acquiring a first and second round pick in 2024 and a 2023 second round pick. Not that that matters all that much. They are giving away their 2029 first round pick to the Oklahoma City Thunder. They also, by the way, owe the Thunder their 2027 pick already. But what this means is understanding that when you look at the salary situation for the Nuggets, Bruce Brown is the only player uh, that plays significant minutes that could leave after this year if he decides to take his player option and go. The Nuggets are maximizing their window because you have to build around your star expensive players with players that can be more economical. So uh, obtaining, again, a 2024 first rounder and a 2023 second rounder in an effort to kind of keep this championship window, if you will, open while all of these guys are signed in there. Um, Nuggets, by the way, do not have a first-round pick this year. This year. They have two seconds, I believe, at 37 and 40. Correct. And and the idea would be potentially, could you use those maybe to jump up into the bottom half of the first or who knows what. But we do know that Calvin Booth is being aggressive and even being in the finals 
uh, certainly is not going to blunt that. He's absolutely intent on making sure that this team is ready to go. So an interesting uh, move there as well. Uh, get some low-cost contracts, get some tra- trade opportunities, potentially, if you needed to. Uh, obviously, they don't have a lot of picks uh, of their own coming up for a while. But this is a smart move because with the new CBA, it becomes harder and harder to add salary. So you're going to have to draft and develop to a certain extent. Much and more, much more. Than if ever. you're going to trade away talent, the cost a little bit of money. It's going to we've seen it. You have to give up a ton of draft picks to do that. So the acquisition of draft picks makes sense for Calvin Booth. Obviously, that's for the future. But the Nuggets have the their, their eye on keeping this window open for more than just this year. That's a luxury the front office has. It's not a luxury the players have or the coaches have. You don't know if you'll ever be here again, and you have to be able to cash it in when you can. I'm with you. I am not as confident about this game in Game 3, but we have seen multiple looks by the Heat, and there are certain things, as you pointed out, that are simply hard to combat. The Nuggets have the best two players in this series. With all due respect to Jimmy Butler, who I have repeatedly, all playoffs long, I've told you about how dangerous Jimmy Butler was. Every round told you how dangerous Jimmy Butler was as the heat continued on. But Jimmy Butler at his age has worn down a little. We can see it at the long minutes it took to get them here has seen it. Jokic and Murray, the two best players in this series. Moreover, the Nuggets have more size, more physicality, and more ways to create mismatches. And if there's one thing you can't necessarily combat, it's if the other team's just bigger and stronger than you yes, are. Yes, that's a great point. And uh, George and I talked about that today on our podcast, which uh, is available uh, right now through uh, uh, Truth Plus Media and also, of course, uh, Truth uh, and Basketball. Yeah, go check it out. Yeah, and uh, available here at uh, Mile High Sports as well. And we'll. Uh, be talking about that a little more with George later on, but you're exactly right. It, it, at some point, bigger, stronger, more skilled, more athletic, younger. <laughs> in many cases, it, 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 you 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 can't change those things during the course of a series. You can't grow. You can't get bigger uh, during the course of the series. Now, can you play a tougher brand of basketball than Miami played the other night, especially on defense? I think the answer to that question is yes. But I I, I sort of think Minnesota. Uh, topped out at a certain level. Uh, Phoenix, with with the two guys doing almost all of the damage offensively, uh, topped off at a certain level. Uh, the Nugget defense has been the under-reported story, undercovered story. Yes, indeed. Uh, under-commented upon story in these playoffs so far. Um, the Lakers uh, certainly uh, hit a hit a ceiling that uh, uh, wasn't much better than the Nuggets' floor. And that's why it was a four-game sweep. And I think Miami topped out at 111. Uh, it, there's no doubt about it my way uh, of thinking that the Nuggets had to help them a little bit with the mistakes they made uh, defensively in that second game. Uh, but let's remember in the two other games, Miami has not come even close to scoring 100 points. They haven't even got a 95. And, and so I, I think they topped out at 111. Uh, I, I can see them tonight playing their best game. They, this they lose tonight. The series is over, uh, for all intents and purposes. Yes. So, I, I can see them maybe edging over 100, but I can't see them getting to 111 again. And I, I think the Nugget floor is 104. 
uh, it, their total in game one <laughs> that they won 104 to 93. Yeah. Uh, that That's their floor. And they, they only scored 45 points in the second half. I know people point to the fourth quarter problems. Uh, to me, in game one, there were no They were never issues. challenged. They were never seriously challenged no. in the fourth quarter. That's what made Mike Malone's post-game comments so inexplicable. Uh, and game three, it was not a big scoring fourth quarter, but uh, Mike Malone appeared intent on winning the fourth quarter. And point of fact, the Nuggets did win 27-26 in the fourth quarter. And uh, so, yes, uh, they they went from, uh, I guess, more than 20 ahead to only nine ahead. Uh, I guess people get nervous and see no distinction between having a nine-point lead with three minutes to go and a two-point lead with three minutes to go. Uh, another bit of uh, lazy kind of coverage and uh, wayward thinking that continues to baffle me. But if you're looking but at plus minuses. Case, I, I, I think it's 108-106 tonight. Uh, it'll be close. It may come down to a last-second shot. It could very well be an overtime game because I think you'll get everything from the Heat that they possibly have. Yeah, this They'll is still have a loud crowd behind them, and the Nuggets probably won't play quite as well as they did but, again, uh, I think this is a series where the Nugget B game all but trumps Miami's A game. And, yeah, there may be some magic and some bounces tonight that go against Denver and in favor of Miami. But uh, I'm, I'm reasonably confident, uh, even if the Nuggets lose, that they've reestablished that when they play well, uh, a B level on up, they're going to win no matter what Miami throws at them. And I think psychologically, uh, Miami might begin to have some doubts because uh, they have to know that their two best players on their best night can't come close to matching Jokic and Murray on their best you night. You talked about which this Which we yesterday. saw Wednesday. Adebayo was tremendous. 22 points and 17 yes. rebounds. Oh, yes. I mean, that- In any other game, he's the star of the game. But he's going up against Jokic, and he has had in the past, in the regular season, and even in these playoffs, in this series, he has had terrific numbers. But consistently through the years, the Nuggets have had the edge on the Miami Heat with Jokic on the team. They've lost only three games while winning, I believe now it is 13. I think it's 13-4. and uh, three with Jokic against the Miami Heat. It, it's just, it, and, and you look at the box score, and Adebayo has all these good games, and Jokic simply has better ones. Right. right? Because he's Jokic, and, and he outplays I'm glad everybody. you brought up the defense, because l- let me look at this a little bit. We know it's only three games into this one. But in the first round against Miami, the low water, pardon me, Milwaukee, for, for the Miami Heat, the low water mark for them is scoring. The low water mark was in a win it was 119 points. The low water mark for them against New York in the series in which they won, again, was 103 until that final last game where they got to 96. But only one time were they under 100 at all. Win or lose in that series against New York. They never were against Milwaukee. Against Boston. They lost two games in the middle of that series, and they still scored 99, 97 points. But in their other games that they won, they scored 123, 128, 111, and 103. Against the Nuggets, they have only been able to crack 95 
One, the Nuggets' defense has been such a vastly underrated part of this playoff run. It's remarkable. It's not as if, you know, you hear about, oh, well, Miami's tough and scrappy and everything. Miami's been scoring points this playoffs, a lot of points. Until they hit the Denver Nuggets. I believe the Nuggets' best defensive player is Aaron Gordon, and I think he's demonstrated that in the series. And you go back and look in all four series the Nuggets have played. Look at the people that Gordon has guarded. <laughs> and uh, if not shut down completely, uh, limited significantly. Okay, He's their best defensive player. But the Nuggets have added this series, eight minutes in game one, 15 minutes in game two, and uh, 19 minutes the other night in game three is the uh, – spectacularly disruptive defensive presence of Christian Brown, uh, who is their second-best defensive player, and there's not even a close third on on the team. The Nuggets have other decent to good defensive players. Brown is a great defensive player, particularly considering that he's a rookie, and rookies aren't supposed to play defense. Uh, Magic Johnson, even as a rookie, uh, say throughout his career, much like Larry Bird, not known to be a great straight-up defensive player, and that's okay. They were disruptive. Uh, seems like they, it worked they all right. They were disruptive. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously they had the height uh, to cover a variety of people, and Magic proved that in Game 6 in his rookie year against Philadelphia in the NBA Finals when he scored 42 points and had 19 assists, and he guarded everybody on the floor, including Julia Serving, and he played offensively every position on the floor. Literally played every position on the floor. He's a point guard. He was a shooting guard. He was a small forward. He's a power forward, and he's a center. Uh, all in the same game at various times. In fact, it often seemed he was playing five positions at once. He was playing one on five, and he was beating a team uh, led by Julia Serving and uh, Bobby Jones and Mo Cheeks. He was beating a team led by those three guys by himself, at least in that sixth game he was. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar had been clearly the MVP through the first five games. But it, in this series, um, offensively, now you have Brown, when he's able to play with Gordon and or Murray and or Jokic, getting seven layups slash dunks, and he is uh, far and away the best runner on the Nugget team in transition from defense to offense. Again, nobody can match his speed, and I mean nobody. And he sprints. He sprints back on defense. He sprints from defense to offense in transition. And this is just another example of a, the kind of player the Miami Heat don't have. The Miami Heat don't have anyone who remotely resembles Christian Brown. And another great move there by Calvin Booth as well, making those moves in the offseason to put the Nuggets where they are. For reference, Boston Celtics led the NBA – in point differential per game at 6.5. In this series, the Nuggets are plus 7.6 over the second best team thus far in the NBA. Think that uh, the Nuggets and Heat have been a problem for ratings or that Nikola Jokic's lack of interest in being in commercials has been a problem? Uh, well, it hasn't been. And uh, don't worry about listening to me about it. The commissioner can tell you about it. He was on Dan Patrick. We'll let you hear what he had to say next. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Wall. 
Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. It is Friday. You've made it through the work week. Good for you. And, uh, yeah, let's talk about the rewards you get in sports. Uh, this one's special tonight, of course. The Nuggets will take on the Heat in Miami in Game 4 with an opportunity to take the proverbial yeah. stranglehold on the series. The ratings A chance the they series, never had, by the way, uh, uh, against uh, the Nets. They got behind by a game. Then it was 1-1. Um, then they went to New York, and the Nets won a couple, and the Nuggets won game five back in Denver. Uh, so it was 3-2 when the Nets closed out the series in Uniondale, although the Nuggets had a 23-point lead late in the third quarter. I do want to correct one thing I said. Uh, Jokic is 13-6 and six playoffs, with the yeah. Nuggets against the Heat, good. including playoffs, and uh, not 13-4. and four. Right. Uh, you yeah. got the 13 right. Uh, it, 13 and 6. Shame on you, Sandy, for not re- immediately recalling two, all 19 that, matchups in the course right. of his career. So, actually, his Goodness winning gracious. percentage against the Heat <laughs> has gone down in the series because the Nuggets are only. Uh, yeah, they're, they're only winning two thirds uh, at this point. So, but uh, that could go up to a robust 75% if they get it done tonight. The ratings, and this is something we talked about before. Obviously, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a native here, and so I'm understandably sensitive to the way Colorado gets treated. At, and historically, is a bit of a flyover state. And the NBA, I think, has made it. A lot of mistakes in that regard over the course of the uh, last few decades that the NFL, for example, or uh, NHL is not. But Adam Silver appeared on the Dan Patrick show yesterday. And by the way, the ratings over last year's Boston, San Francisco, I know it's Golden State, but let's go to the media markets. Boston, San Francisco final. Major markets, legacy teams, star players. The ratings for this are up. From last year up, we went over it in the first uh, couple of, of games as well. It's it's a better series. I, I think the brand of basketball has been better this year. I, I thought last year's series uh, for all its star power, uh, the games actually to me were rather. Dull. And that's the thing. The NFL is long understood. It's not about the cities the teams come from. It's about the teams that are in that are playing right now. The players, the teams, the style. This is winning fans over. And it's been good for the NBA. Here's Adam Silver with Dan Patrick yesterday. As the commissioner, how much influence do you have over your TV partners? You know, you got the Joker, who now people are seeing. They're almost forced to see him because he's in the NBA Finals. But to market some of these players, you know, Joker's a hard guy to market. He's not a highlight guy. But what influence can you have over the TV partners of Let's can we focus in on some of these other players that maybe you know the rest of the country doesn't focus on? You know how quickly you forget when you were at Sports Center calls from me when I was running NBA Entertainment. <laughs> Why aren't you running more highlights or fill in the blank? So, I, so we've we have some influence. It's interesting. I mean, to the, the networks. I mean, they do focus on the teams and players that they think are going to be most popular. Um, in fairness to them, the Joker hasn't been in the finals before. Of course, he's a two-time MVP. But we're seeing now, I think I, I read the other day, he went from the 18th most popular player on social media to the number one player on social media over the last two weeks. So fans are responding. The networks will respond. I, I, I mean, I, I've been at the, the, the first three finals games. I mean, it's it's an incredible you know, display of basketball. I know, you know, you're a former player, a huge fan, uh, you know, and I, and I think the country is warming up to it. I mean, the team style that, that they play Miami too, for that matter. I mean, this is just from a, from a basketball aficionado standpoint, I mean, this is, this is really 
you know, basketball playing at its highest level. And I think, and, and the, by the way, we're seeing it in the ratings. I think, you know, going in, the projections were that we were going to be down almost 25% from Boston and San Francisco. And of course, that hasn't been the case. In fact, you know, probably after last night, we're going to be up a little bit, which is says a lot about the league that you have two mid-sized markets. Of course, you know, a popular team in Miami, um, a, a, a Nuggets team that has never been in the finals, and, and the fans are responding by watching. Well, he said it. Um, I've been saying it for weeks. Basketball aficionados, right? basketball purists, love the series. Love the series. Josh Giddy, I like the, uh, to consider myself a purist. Yeah. I've been watching basketball for almost 60 years. Uh, I love the NBA. Um, probably in, in recent years, I've watched a little more college basketball than I'm used to watching. But at the same time, for a purist, and by the way, a casual fan can also be a purist. Uh, sure. But casual fans don't know that Nikola Jokic wasn't featured during the regular season or the playoffs because most likely they weren't watching watching. anybody. So if you you believe in the casual fan who will watch only the World Series, only the Super Bowl, uh, only the Final Four, uh, only uh, the Frozen Four in college hockey, I suppose, only the Stanley Cup playoffs, To which no, by, those people are getting exposure, yeah, to which, by the way, unlimited exposure to Nikola Jokic. Welcome aboard. Enjoy. And they find him an appealing player. Exactly. And it's, personality. And so the idea behind because it. Because he isn't, look at me, look at me, look at yeah, me. He, it, well, time. he's certainly different. The style of play is different. I mean, the, the style. Hell, he, say, he says over and over again, Jamal Murray is the best player on the Nuggets team. Yeah. Casual fans hear that, and they like to hear that, even if they a, a know it's not do. true. Sure. If they've watched three games or maybe some of the other playoff games the Nuggets have played before the finals. Uh, the Nuggets have, uh, and to, to their credit again, and I do believe the Nuggets have done a good job building a culture, they actually have a lot of guys like that. I, I think a casual fan watches it because they're just curious about the finals. They don't know anything about these teams, and they don't know that the, the Nuggets were good, better, and different. They know they're in the finals. They're like, okay, whatever. Uh, you, we've all been with those at Super Bowl parties. Some of that's the only football game they watch all year. And so what? Uh, welcome. Enjoy. You know what? There's no need to be snobs about it. Uh, let people enjoy things. But I, I think there is an appeal to Jokic, and there certainly is internationally, that I think the NBA is starting to wrap its head around, and it should, because guess what? Joel Embiid is uh, not directly international, but but comes by way of Nigeria. And prior to that, Giannis is is born in Greek. Right. Is Greece. So uh, who who was the favorite? Do you remember who, does anyone remember who one of the the three favorites for the MVP was prior to this year? It wasn't, uh, Embiid wasn't actually in the list. It was Jokic and and, uh, Giannis and one other person. Luka Doncic, Slovenian. Right. This is, if you're the NBA, you better start embracing the reality that you've worked oh, I for. Think they have. That this I, is a worldwide I think, sport. I think they have. And, and when he talks about ratings, he's saying that contrary to my own expectations, the ratings are actually slightly better than in, they were in, last in year. The United States. But what Stern used to talk about was the impact internationally. And I think the NBA, whether it's NBA entertainment, uh, or uh, the 30-member clubs, I, I think they realize that 
the international audience, while not counting in the ratings, also is a factor here. And you have, uh, with the Miami Heat, I think an international team, a team with an international reputation. And you have in Jokic, the best basketball player in the world, and that is recognized internationally, that he is the best basketball player in the world. The same as it is increasingly being recognized by people here in America who often are the last to come around to things like that, especially when it involves a foreign player. Well, I'm not even going to bother playing it because it doesn't matter. And it's, it was it doesn't even really have to do with foreign or otherwise. But it was funny yesterday uh, on uh, the ESPN show that has Jay Williams and then Keyshawn Johnson. And, and Keyshawn was talking about how uh, it's hard to it's hard to like Jokic because there was no drama. And he tried to compare him to Dirk Nowitzki. Said he, you know, said that Jokic is boring. Of course, uh, Williams and uh, and I'm spacing the name of the coast. I apologize. We're like boring. What are you talking about? Uh, how could you possibly watch his game and decide that's that's boring? And he said, well, he just doesn't, you know, like Dirk had swagger and Dirk would talk to you after shots and Dirk would, and it's basically boiled down to, we have this idea with, with the Allen Iverson, you know, sort of uh, Kobe Bryant era that like, if you don't get in someone's face and cause some drama after every play, you're no longer uh, an Jimmy interesting, Butler. yeah, you're not an interesting player. Yeah. And, and I think there is a segment of the, and you know, I don't care why you like basketball. If that's why you like basketball. Cool. I don't care if you like basketball because you like seeing, you know, sweet dimes. Cool. I don't care. I don't care why you like it. Um, you but, mean, does Keyshawn Johnson look at Dirk Nowitzki and the first thing he thinks about is swagger? That's not a serious basketball analysis. Right. And, and he's not a serious and that, And that's anyway. the thing. So, you know, so what? But it's funny that the main criticisms about Nikola Jokic as a basketball player have nothing to do with him as a basketball player. Nothing. It's just bizarre. But, you know, who cares? At a certain point for Denver, I was talking about this with Danny Bailey yesterday after the show a little bit. For Denver. I think Nuggets fans are fine with this. I think Nuggets fans are delighted to be able to see fans across the country and around the world see their team and go, oh, wow, this is an entertaining brand of basketball that I can get behind. I can watch this. Uh, I can kind of be a fan of this team. They're, they're the lovable guys from nowhere, even though they've dominated the Western Conference for the vast majority of the season. But for Denver, fine. You spent decades ruling out this franchise and this city and its fans as a flyover community that has no real value, one of the Washington generals of the NBA for decades. Okay, that's fine. You know what? We're going to show up. We don't really care if we entertain you. We're just here for your jewelry. And I think Nuggets fans are fine with that. You don't have to like it. You don't have to think it's entertaining. We're just going to take your rings and your trophy. But, and I think Nuggets fans are great. People do find it entertaining. They do. When they're exposed to but, it. But it's, but it's, the, it's, the leg, more, it's that legacy NBA media but, that's used to only having to cover six well, cities. I, I, I know. That, that it, don't, but, they but don't, they're it, baffled they, by they're, this. They're not tuned in uh, in the way that uh, we are. Uh, you know, our combined experience here in Denver is, uh, you know, what, about 70 years? You and me? Uh, the yeah. two of us put together. Yeah. So, and you grew up here. So we can add to 70 uh, all the years you, you grew up here and felt those things, experienced those things. Uh, but, uh, you know, Doug Moe's Nuggets didn't win any championships, didn't get to the NBA Finals in the 1980s, and they were recognized as uh, a very entertaining team. Um, I, I, I think the people who matter, uh, and I'm not talking about the lowest common denominator crowd, who cares what they think? 
uh, you know, they're they're the same people who are just determined to uh, react and think a certain way. But I, I, I'm sorry, nothing that Keyshawn Johnson or anybody at ESPN or anywhere else is going to dissuade a person who sees Jokic for the first time and is impressed by him. Oh, well, I guess because Keyshawn Johnson isn't impressed or doesn't find him interesting, I guess he's boring. People don't think that way. Keyshawn Johnson is not taken seriously as an analyst by anybody anyway, even when it pertains to football. Uh, This is, I I love Shannon Sharp. Uh, I admire him and have great respect for him. And if uh, Shannon has a basketball opinion that anybody cares about, I'm not aware of it. I'm just not aware of it. Now, if Shannon has a football opinion, I want to hear it because I think he's a well-informed football person, unlike Keyshawn Johnson, for example. However, when it comes to basketball, I I love Shannon, and Shannon's credentials as a basketball commentator uh, lies in the fact, I guess, that he's a Lakers season ticket. And interferes with games from time to time, as it turns out. But it's informative, I think, to see because I've, I've long, long, long pushed very hard against the idea that uh, the, the notion that if you're in the, in the media covering sports, you cannot be a sports fan. I think that is an oversimplification. I don't think uh, – you, you just talked about how long we've worked in this business. How many, how many stations have we worked at? How many different things? You don't get into this business unless you grew up loving sports or you're an idiot. Uh, one of the two. <laughs> you're just gluttoned for punishment. I don't know what to tell you. But there, there is the ability to professionally separate, like I've, I've told people before. If DAs can go to court and defend a murderer, I can certainly tell you when the team that I grew up watching is not playing well and why. It's just professionalism. It, you, you separate out and you do your job. But when you see someone like, from Keyshawn's case, I think it's fascinating because it, it's informative of what a certain segment of the fan base it thinks. And what I see from that is the idea that it's just the new that throws people. And it's just different. And that's okay because you know how we grow? It's different. I've likened this to things before. I've increased the metaphor. When you go work out and you're trying to build muscles, in the end, you're really tearing muscle fibers in your body. You're tearing them. And then your body puts newer, thicker, muscle fibers to replace the ones that you damaged so they don't get damaged the next time. Human beings grow by doing things we haven't done before, by seeing things we haven't seen, by learning things we haven't learned. Without it, nothing evolves, nothing grows. This finals, if it goes the Nuggets way, the the ringer today, a terrific, by the way, if you do like basketball and you don't read the ringer, I don't know what to tell you, you should. Their story by Michael Pena today is somebody said specifically the action that turned the Nuggets into a juggernaut. And I'll, I'll give you the bottom of the subheader. Now they could go down as one of the best pick and roll combos in NBA history. Well, that's exactly right. I, I mean, f- find a better And the one. only way to do it is you have to be willing to experience new. The Nuggets not only might but be doing pick and a roll great. Pick the oldest play in basketball Correct. with a possible but there's always the room. there's always room to innovate it. And there's always room to add some wrinkles, and there's always room to execute it a little bit better. And the Nuggets might not only be what the NBA needs right now. 
the Nuggets, with the ratings being good, with Jokic's sensational play and the style of play, with his particular personality and being international, without swagger, may end up being a pivot point for the NBA. As Adam Silver wants to get the NBA to where the NFL is, where parity is real. The new CBA is going to be a part of that. But I'm not going to go quite this far because it doesn't make that much of a difference. But the Nuggets winning this title in the style in which they're playing could be nearly as transformative to the way the NBA looks at its future as when the New York Jets won Super Bowl three and forced the formation of the merger of the NFL and well, the AFL. The, the, the I, merger had already taken place, but I agree with you on this. But the point. idea in which this style of play, you're, you're correct, the merger, but, but the, the, the way the game is played is going to pivot the NBA into a better well, future. Uh, yeah, I, I, I get that. Um, I will agree with you on on one point. The NFL had killed the AFL in the first two Super Bowls. Right. And if the Jets had joined the Chiefs and the Raiders in getting blown out by Baltimore, which everyone was predicting and the odds favored Baltimore by anywhere from 16 to 19 points, um, I'm not sure that, for example, NFC teams or NFL teams would have been willing to move over to what became the American Football Conference, but was, in effect, the American Football right. League at the, at the time. They still hadn't gotten agreement on which NFL teams would move because there were more NFL teams than AFL teams. And to have a balanced league, they'd have to move. And it took the Jets and then, of course, the following the other Chiefs beating the Vikings when they were uh, uh, underdogs in a similar way uh, to convince teams like Pittsburgh and Baltimore, hey, the brand of football in the AFC is just as good, and certainly the Steelers in the 1970s. Um, last time I checked, they won their Super Bowls as an AFC team, not as an NFC team or as an NFL team. They never won a title in the NFL when it was just the NFL. When the NFL merged with the AFL, it will be fascinating to see because the Nuggets have an opportunity to not only transform the way things are perceived here in Denver, but maybe even the NBA at large. And I don't believe I'm exaggerating. Want to know your opinion? The call and text line is 303-831-1340. Game four is tonight. We're talking about it. Sandy and Sean, Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The Denver Nuggets will be headed to a phenomenal position if they get the win in Game 4 tonight in Miami. Of course, a tip-off coming up in just a few hours. We'll have Ryan Blackburn from Mile High Sports join us in just a little bit. Hall of Fame coach George Carl will join us at 3.30. This is, uh, you correctly put it, Sandy, earlier, that, that game three was the most important game in Denver Nuggets history. Right. Where does this stand? Because, I mean, we always hear, you know, every, time, every, every one, every win is harder. Here and then the, uh, for Avalanche fans, a little more accustomed to winning titles with three Stanley Cups to their name, you hear with those 16 wins, that every single one, the next one's the hardest one. 
in this case for the Nuggets, who have reclaimed home court advantage with winning game three, is that the case here or not? Presumably they will get Miami's absolute best shot. I think Miami understands that losing two of the first three, they're not going to win three in a row if they lose tonight. Uh, This is kind of their Alamo. I think it was surprising to me that individually and collectively they were soft on defense. And associating the Miami Heat with softness, especially on defense, is something I've never done. <laughs> even even with their well, why would teams team like in the 90s soft, that right? uh, battled the Knicks in the playoffs and the games were virtually unwatchable, even to this uh, longtime Knickerbocker fan. They were certainly the team of my youth. I had trouble watching those games. They were so ugly, you know, and so brutal. You know, John Wooden used to talk about this, but, you know, basketball should be a beautiful game to watch, and there was nothing beautiful about 1990s basketball. Uh, Even on the highest of levels in the NBA, there was not a Showtime equivalent uh, in the 1990s. It wasn't even possible given the way Uh, he played. And I'll tell you what, you say, well, the Pistons. uh, Actually, the Pistons were uh, probably uh, more of an example of, purest basketball than the Knicks were. And, of course, the Bulls eventually uh, rose well above uh, both of them as uh, the 1990s went on. Uh, But I would expect that the Nuggets' floor is right around 105 for points. I'm talking about their floor now. Not, Not the ceiling. I'm talking about the floor, okay? Look at the scores they put up in this series so far. 104, 108, 109, and the 109 could have been more than 109. You know, if they had, I mean, the fourth quarter was almost entirely garbage time. The game was decided in the third quarter, not in the fourth quarter. And, And you could say the same thing about game one, I guess, in a sense. The Nuggets scored only 20 points in the fourth quarter. They could have scored more than 104 points sure. in the fourth quarter. Probably should have. I don't know. Maybe could have is uh, too strong. But should have scored more than 104 points in game one. So I, I think their their floor is at about 105. And I think Miami hit its ceiling at 111. And I, I think they maxed out there. Now, you know, I guess they could shoot 55% tonight from the field and 45 to 50% from three-point range and maybe get beyond 105, and I am getting to 106. But I, I think that's pretty close to the nugget floor. <laughs> so it, it, the game will be closer tonight. And I think the Nuggets are professional and mature enough at this point to take the game seriously. And in a funny way, I'd almost rather that this game from the Nugget point of view be in Miami than in Denver because I think it's easier to get complacent when the home crowd is backing you. That's a great point. And I think the opposing crowd will be loud tonight again, and the Nuggets will feed off that. And I suppose the Heat will feed more off that than they managed in game three. I just think Butler will be more into it, but here's the fact of the matter with Butler. 
I think he'll be more into it defensively because I think he was almost embarrassed the other night by Murray defensively. I thought so. Okay. But here's the fact of the matter. The last five games of the Boston series and the first three games of this series, he's shooting 40%. That's not 40% over two or three games. Right. That's eight games of 40% shooting. I think I think I, I think this is where this gets interesting because I just see a Jimmy Butler who is physically more tired than he was earlier in the playoffs. And that's to be expected to a certain extent. Uh Adebayo, to his credit, I I think has been very, very good. I think he's been better than Butler in the series. And I do think you're right. Butler is a point of pride because let's keep in mind here, the game three plan for the Heat defensively was to limit Jamal Murray. That was the plan. To to understand that Nikola Jokic is going to get his, it was to limit Jamal Murray. That didn't work. You made the argument Jamal was the best player on the floor better than Jokic who went 30-20-10. So, yeah, whatever Jimmy Butler has left in the tank, I'm completely confident he'll empty it tonight. And so I think there is more of a concern. But I I think the point you made is really salient, Sandy, that this is a better game for the Nuggets to have on the road because your focus will be improved. And sometimes at home, that's the funny thing with sports, right? Sometimes the, the the home crowd can help, and I assume it will help the Heat, but sometimes the home crowd can also add pressure. And so for the Heat, you know, what they get out of that, we'll find out. I think they'll leave it all on the floor. I think Spolstra will pull out every trick in his very, very deep bag of tricks. And it would not shock me if Miami won this game. But I think the point you make, Sandy, that if, my, if the Denver Nuggets play to their level, they will win because they are better. And they've had subpar performances in these last two games from guys that are significant contributors and have been over the course of the whole playoffs, specifically Michael Porter Jr. and Bruce Brown, who were bad. There's certainly room for them to improve as well. So I want to know what you think. The call and text line is 303-831-1340. Ryan Blackburn, the lead writer for Mile High Sports when it comes to the Nuggets and the host of the Pickaxe and Roll podcast, will join us next. We cut the legs off of our pants. 